And I want to invite everybody now, please stand and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, it's a little bitty letter right in the middle of the New Testament. It'll be up on the screen. It might be on your smartphone if you have one. Starting in verse 1. 1 to verse 10. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be, pres would be preserved for you. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, for the sunshine, especially after these many days of rain. Father, we thank you for a new year. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much. That for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. You scorned its shame. You were willing to shed your blood to be an atonement for our sins, to redeem us. And Father, we praise you that you have adopted us. May you bring encouragement to us today, conviction of sin. Father, that you bring healing by the power of your presence, your word. Father, give me your word so that I would say only what you want, nothing else. And we pray that you, Jesus, would be glorified above all things. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, I've got a couple quick questions for each of you. Today is January 5th. Does anybody know what tomorrow is? And don't say January 6th. It's Monday. Great. Does anybody know what it is in the church calendar? What is tomorrow? Epiphany, very good. We're still in Christmas season. There's 12 days of it. Tomorrow is Epiphany. It's in the church tradition. It's the celebration of the wise men when they came and they worshiped Jesus and they gave him their gifts. And it's the celebration of when God opened the gospel to the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? Anyone who is not a Jew. So if you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. I'm going to talk about this quite a bit today about Jew and Gentile, the importance of unity in the church. But tomorrow is Epiphany, and it's a celebration that Jesus is our Messiah. 
He didn't only come for the Jews, but he came for all men and women, all mankind. And that's what the wise men represent, the Gentiles. And so we need to praise them. That's why I told Kim to leave this Christmas stuff up. I mean, it's amazing. We put our Christmas stuff down on December 27th. That's the earliest we've ever done it. And it felt kind of weird. But it amazes me, and I said this last week as well, I'm shocked at the way TV, the way our culture is. We are never present in the present. We're here, but we're always thinking about tomorrow, next month, next year, just on and on and on, and we don't live for today. We are still in the Christmas season. Jesus came because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This past week, we were at my mom's down in Jackson, Tennessee. The first two days were great. It was like 55 degrees and sunny like today. The second two days, we saw the animals swimming up two by two because of the amount of rain. It was unbelievable. One of the days, one of my best friends, and I've talked about him in the past, came to our house, and he brought us two little kids. And he hasn't seen one of my brothers in years. And he got to share in his testimony. And this friend of mine, I'm not going to share his name, he grew up in the church but when college rolled around, I mean, he chunked the faith and he partied hard for years. And he was sharing with my brother that on Father's Day a couple of years ago, he gave his life back to Christ. And as I sat there listening, and I knew the story, listening to my dear friend's testimony, my brother was overwhelmed by the power of the gospel, the testimony. His story, sharing what Jesus had done for him. Now, all of us have a story about what Christ has done and is doing in our lives. Now, if you grew up like me, I grew up as the goody-two-shoes. I was the perfect child, and I wasn't perfect. But I was the goody-two-shoes. And when I, became, when I became a teenager and was in junior high and high school and had become a Christian, I always kind of lamented I didn't have one of those testimonies. And back in the 80s, we suffered, the church suffered with uh, famous testimony disease. I remember at every youth event, youth rally at church, famous actors or athletes would come and they would share their testimony. And I mean, they were like pagan and womanizers and alcoholics and drug addicts and murderers. And I mean, you name the sin and they did it. And boy, they would just share how horrible they were. And then they saw the light of Christ and they came to know Jesus. And then all of a sudden they're living in victory. And I remember thinking, Man, I don't have that kind of testimony. I grew up in the church. I knew Jesus before Jesus knew me. Went to Sunday school and church and memorized all the Bible verses. Was a goody two-shoes. Got saved in ninth grade, but no one could tell the difference from the life before and after, really. And I always wished, man, I wish I had one of those testimonies. And it wasn't until years later when I was in Mexico as an adult when God hit me with the two-by-four for a couple reasons. One is, praise the Lord, you don't have one of those type of testimonies with the baggage and the memories and the actions and the consequences of just horrible, wretched decisions. The other one was this. Don't menosprestiar, that's a word in Spanish, but don't belittle or make light of my grace and mercy that I have on you because you are a horrible sinner. You are a wretch. And you might not have one of those testimonies, but you have a story of how Jesus is working in your life. So rejoice in what he's doing in your life. So we all have a story of how we met Jesus. What is your story? How is Jesus, how has he 
worked in your life. And I emphasize worked, past tense. How is Jesus working in your life now? We're going to look at Paul's, some of his testimony. Here in Galatians chapter 2, if you can open your Bibles back up. And I want to encourage you, here in Galatians, read chapter 1, not right now, but later on today or tomorrow. There's a lot of personal testimony here with Paul in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Galatians is one of the first letters that Paul wrote of the New Testament. He wrote Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And Galatians is one of the first letters he wrote. And he wrote to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey of today. And the main reason he wrote is he had traveled all around. And if you read Acts chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, you will see the churches that he wrote to in Galatians were the churches from Antioch, Derbe, Iconium, and Lystra. Numerous house churches that he wrote to. He wrote this letter. And the main reason he wrote to those churches was that he had planted several churches. And it was all about grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace. We're not saved and we're not forgiven because we obey a bunch of religious rules. Does anybody have any idea how many laws are in the Old Testament? Anybody know? Over 600. A lot of those laws revolve around the temple and temple sacrifices. But over 600 Old Testament commandments. What was one of the questions the Pharisees asked Jesus? Jesus, out of all the commandments, which is the most important? And when you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus confronting everyone, especially his disciples, about being, it's a love relationship with our Heavenly Father. Actually, thanks for those songs. We have a good, good Father who loves us deeply. And we follow a person, not a list of rules. Praise the Lord. Jesus whittled those 600 commands down to two. And it's all about love. And it starts with him. We love God because he first loved us. It's a relationship. And what was happening in these churches in northern Asia Minor is that Paul had planted them and they had fallen in love with Jesus. They were filled with the Spirit. They were following him. But after Paul left, there was a group of other teachers and other church leaders called Judaizers. They didn't deny Christ at all. In fact, some of them were Christians. But one of the greatest challenges that the early church during the time of Paul was this. One of the greatest challenges they had was this. Was how Jewish did the Gentiles have to become in order to truly be saved? Because, see, Jesus was Jew. He was a Jew. And think about it. The Jews in the Old Testament, they're God's chosen people. And there was the promises, all these promises of the Messiah to come. And Jesus came. And he fulfilled all those promises. And there was just this tiny group of Jewish believers. The first believers were Jewish. And the first church was in Jerusalem, made of Jews. And it grew very quickly from 100 people to several thousands. And they began to grow, and there was lots of persecution. But for the first several decades of the history of the church, the Roman Empire just considered the Christians a Jewish sect. But as the church expanded and went from Jerusalem to Israel to the entire Roman Empire, you had tens of thousands of non-Jews putting their faith in Jesus and becoming part of the church. 
Now, we might think, and? But think about this. This has been said in the United States for decades. The most segregated time of the week is when? Right now. How hard is it for us to truly embrace people of other cultures, other nationalities, other traditions? It's hard as nails. Birds of a feather flock together. And one of the incredible privileges we have as this little congregation is the multiculturalism that God has given us. It's just a tiny taste of heaven. In the early church, this early, early church with all these Gentiles coming in from numerous countries all within the Roman Empire, one of their greatest struggles was this. How Jewish do they need to become? Now Paul, before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was Jewish. And even in Paul's own testimony, he says he excelled far beyond any of his other classmates and those of his peers. He was extremely zealous for the Lord. And he was a Pharisee. He was so committed as a Pharisee to God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that when the church started, he persecuted the church. He would go from town to town throwing Christians Jewish Christians into prison. And Stephen, the very first martyr who was killed for his faith, Paul stood there affirming what the men were doing to Stephen as they killed him. Paul hated Christians. He hated the church. Paul had one of those testimonies. And if you read Galatians 1, if you read Acts chapter 9, you'll see how he met Jesus. It's a powerful story. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus showed up, shining brighter than the sun, confronting Paul, convicting Paul. And Paul fell to the ground. Paul became a believer, put his faith in Christ. Remember, he grew up a strict Pharisee, knowing the Old Testament inside out by memory, following every command. Perfect, as Paul says in the book of Philippians. Perfect according to the law. And yet he realized and was confronted by the grace and power of Jesus. And he gave it all up to follow Christ. He realized that Christ was the Messiah and he gave it all up. I'm sharing all this because of the context of chapter 2. It's very important. And then when Paul wrote Galatians, it was almost 17 years after he had become a Christian. Paul became a Christian, and very quickly he went back down to Jerusalem just for a couple weeks. He met with Peter, and he met with James, who is Jesus' half-brother. Both of them were leaders of the, Jewish, of the Jerusalem church. He stayed just for a couple weeks, and then he went back to Arabia for three years. And after three years in the desert, what do you think was happening then? Jesus was recalibrating everything that Paul had learned in the Old Testament and he was lining everything up for Paul. Paul was actively engaged. We don't know much about it, but if, if we, by reading Paul of Paul's writings, we know that he had deep fellowship with the early church. And he had submitted himself to early church leadership, allowing Holy Spirit to press him down very hard to help him truly understand that it is by grace, through faith in Christ, that one becomes a believer. So for three years, Paul's in the desert 
being discipled, being humbled by the Lord, learning what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. And then he's called out, and you read it in Acts chapter 13, he and Barnabas to go to travel to begin to plant churches, and he started to do that. And Paul and Barnabas, Timothy, Titus, for 14 more years are traveling all around the Mediterranean starting new churches. And then here we have Paul, chapter 2, verse 1. We read it, but we're kind of jumping in the middle of the movie. You read chapter 2, you're like, then after 14 years, huh? I'm going to read it again. Let's stand again. We're going to read it real quickly. We're going to stand and sit and stand and sit. All right? We're going to get some exercise today. I'll sit and stand with you, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But even, even Titus, who was with me, was compelled, was not compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. You may be seated. Paul is sharing that after 14 years of doing ministry, of planting churches, he goes back to Jerusalem. Remember, there's this huge debate for almost two decades. How much do the Gentiles need to obey the Old Testament? And Paul is preaching the gospel. But after 14 years, almost 15 years of this huge fight within the churches, Paul, Barnabas, Titus, and others, they go back to Jerusalem. And you can read it in Acts chapter 15. There's this huge church council. And you can read it in Acts 15. What is required of the Gentiles in order to truly be Christian? That is what Paul's talking about. And he says here that he goes to the leaders. He talks with Peter. He talks with James and John. They're the leaders. And he shares with them his gospel. And he wants to do it because he doesn't want to run in vain, run a race in vain. Question, how many of you all have done work, homework, a project at work, something at school, and when you get done, your boss or your teacher says, oh, this, I didn't want you to do this. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to anybody where you've worked in vain? Or maybe you worked and you didn't get paid for it? Raise your hands high. How does it feel? Now think about Paul. For almost 17 years, He's being persecuted, stoned, beaten, chased out of cities because he's proclaiming the gospel. He's planting churches. He's lifting up Christ. What would have happened if it was all in vain? Pointless and worthless. So after 15 years of this, almost 14 years of this huge debate, Paul goes back and he talks with James, John, and Peter. Is what I'm preaching, is it the right thing? And the answer is yes. And this is the gospel. Christ died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. And he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And in order to be forgiven and adopted as a son or daughter of our heavenly father, we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for our sins. That is the gospel. 
It's not a huge list of do's and don'ts. Now, I need a volunteer, someone who could come up here for me. Stand right here, please. Someone strong. Who can do it? Oh, I'm going to call on somebody. Oh, man, no volunteers? Come on, guys. Okay, we're dismissed. Thank you, Thad. Thank you, thank you. Right there. All right. Ashley, could you grab those hymnals, please? Just start holding them, big guy. Just uh, hold your hands straight out, Theron. Just hold them out. There you go. Um, could you bring me some of those? And you start grabbing any type of pews, Bibles you see. Hold them out, Theron. Hold them out. And we're going to use this example. Anybody else? Rosa? We use this example just as far as like so many times our good intentions. That's enough, and even Is that enough? Is it getting heavy? All right, we've got some more. Thank you, Samuel. Is it getting heavy? No. Not yet? Can you, can you? Many times what we do, and Theron, you're going to have to stand there for a while, so sorry. Many times, yeah, we talk about the grace of Jesus and believing in Jesus and you're forgiven, but then we also put all these expectations on our lives. Well, you need to be in church every week. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You don't need to sin. You need to be in a small group. You need to serve. You need to sing in the choir or be on the worship team. You can put them down if you need to. I don't want to hurt you for your day job. It's okay, yeah. But we put it on ourselves or others will put it on us. All these extra things in order to be a good Christian, to be a mature Christian. And we can confuse what the gospel truly is. And that is what was happening in the early church with Paul and the churches they were planning. These Judaizers, these false teachers were coming in behind Paul saying, oh yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to get circumcised, which was the sign of the old covenant. You also need to obey all these other dietary laws that are found in the Old Testament. You also need to become Jewish. And if you do all those things, then you're a true, real Christian. Now that might seem silly for us today, but what are all the other expectations that we put on ourselves or we put on others to classify them as a good, mature Christian. It is the blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus, nothing else. Now, yes, there are lots of commandments we're to obey. Love God with all that we are. Love our neighbor as ourselves. You read the New Testament and there's tons of commandments. Being clothed in Christ, walking in a way that's worthy But all of those commandments, bearing fruit, being generous, serving one another, forgiving one another, that all flows out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that love relationship we have with him. So then we can freely take off all these outward. And these are hymnals and Bibles. They're wonderful books. In fact, one of them is the book. Thank you, Theron, very much freedom. But that's why Paul, when he went to Jerusalem, he wanted to make sure he was not running in vain. And when he talks about even Titus was not compelled to be circumcised and he was a Greek, Titus was a church leader. He was a young adult who Paul had discipled as a Gentile. And think about the pressure that Titus was under. He's back in Jerusalem where there's thousands of Jewish Christians 
many of them very zealous for the law of the Old Testament. Think of the pressure that he had to become circumcised, to become like everyone else, but he was not compelled. The gospel. We talk about the story. What is your story? And many of us, we might have a story, oh, I used to be like this, and then I met Jesus, and our story stops. What about the rest of your story today? When you read Galatians 1 and Galatians 2, Paul talks about before Christ. He talks about how he encountered Christ, but then he keeps talking about what Jesus is doing in his life after Christ. The whole gospel, we want to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus. It's not just about what Christ has done in our lives, but what is he doing today in our lives? What is he calling us to do? We live for today, but God has a special calling on each and every one of us. It's not just for the missionaries who go to Honduras. Sorry, Joseph and Haley. Or who go to the Middle East or Africa or China. Each and every one of us has a call on our lives. Each and every one of us has a story of how Jesus has been working and is working. What is your story? As we start this new year, as we start this new year, I want it to be a year where all of us will truly, and we read some of the scriptures in Ephesians today, where we would truly grasp the inexpressible riches and inheritance that we have in Christ for what he not only has been doing in our lives, but is doing in our lives. What is your story? There's so much more in this passage that we could read, that we could look at. I want to encourage you this week, read Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Read it over and over and over. A couple things very quickly. Down here in verse 6 and 7, I find this very important. Many of us, if we know much about Paul, we think that he was very arrogant and prideful and kind of hard. And we actually do see a little bit of his arrogance right here in verse 6. He says, now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. That's a little bit arrogant for Paul to say that. He's talking about the church leadership. But as you read Paul's other writings, you'll read and see that he says that he's also the least of all the apostles. And then in 2 Timothy, he says he's the worst of all sinners. Paul grew in his humility as he continued to serve the Lord Jesus. But Paul humbles himself because he says here in verse 7, he says, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter for the circumcised. In other words, Paul was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter was to the Jews. And as we continue in verse 8 and verse 9, Paul is basically humbling himself under, he's getting under the leadership of James, John, and Peter. 
he submits to them his gospel he's been preaching. And he's saying, is it the right one? Am I running in vain or not? And he shares here, he's like, no, because they saw the grace of God working in Paul's life. The same way that God was working in Peter, God is also working in and through Paul. And then here, if you jump over to verse 10, right at the very end, Paul talks about, actually at the very end of verse 9, Paul says, they acknowledged the grace that had been given to me and they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas. You see, Paul humbled himself before the church leadership, saying, this is what God is doing in my life. He submits to them, and they give him the right hand of fellowship, recognizing that Paul has a different calling, a different purpose, serving the Lord in other countries. Each and every one of us is unique and special. We each have a specific calling. God has called each of us to live and to be. For some of us, it's to go overseas. For some of us, it's to live here. What is your story? How is, has Jesus worked in your life? How is he working in your life? And then finally here, Paul says that they asked only that he would remember the poor, which I had every effort to do. Are you willing to live a life so humble that you would consider others more important than yourself? I could go a whole sermon about the poor here. We'll talk about that later. But are you willing to submit to others, allowing Jesus to work in you and then be willing to share your story? Chris, go to the last slide that we did, not the, not the first one, but the second one. In closing, I've got several questions for you to ask of you, and some of this might not make sense because I've cut out some of my sermon. But I have a question for you here. Are you actively sharing your story with others? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's special, special trophies. And he loves to show you off and reveal his power and his grace and his mercy through your life. Are you sharing God's story in your story with others? The second one is this. Are you experiencing, are you living and experiencing the freedom that Jesus has promised? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free to love him, to love others. Not freedom to sin, not freedom for evil, not freedom for selfishness, but freedom from the bondage of sin and death to love and serve him and serve others. Are you experiencing it? Why? Let's stand. We're going to just take about a minute of silence, just focusing on those two questions. And Trevor, if you don't mind coming up, and Ashley, just have a moment of silence. I'm going to pray. Just ask Holy Spirit to work. Members of our prayer team will be over here to your right. We would love to pray with you, for you, 
if God has been speaking to you this morning, if he's calling you to take a step of action or to repent, to surrender, to throw off the legalism, the false expectations of others, religious expectations from others, are you willing to submit to God's will for your life? Father, you are a good, good Father. And you love us with a love that's so eternal and so incredible. It's almost impossible to explain. But Father, I pray that you would pour your great love into our hearts. That we would experience the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. That we would see how you are working in our lives that you would fill us with unbelievable gratitude because you love us. You sent your son Jesus for us. And Father, may we experience the freedom that you give us through Christ and may we share our story of how you're working in our lives with those around us today. We thank you and we praise you and we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.